This is Warrior Podcast, changing the world by introducing warriors to the warrior God. I'm your host, Elizabeth Andrade, and Connor's still not here. He's with us, though, via telephone. Hey, Connor. Hey, Elizabeth. I missed the studio. Only 11 days till I come home. But who's counting? Who's keeping track? I bet Madeline's really excited to see you. Yeah, we're, we're, we literally are counting down the days. We have like a countdown app on the phone. Madeline, so Madeline and I, my wife and I have dated for long distance, like the entire time that we dated. We went to different colleges. I did a deployment with with the National Guard while we were still dating. So we're we're no stranger. We've got we've got some uh, we've got some long distance time under our belt, but uh, it's never fun. It's never fun. It's never easy. So to our military couples out there, man, we're with you. We're with you. Struggling through deployments, struggling through long training sessions. My wife's pregnant as well, so we are navigating all of that as uh, so many warriors do. But yeah, man, we've got the uh, we've got the old countdown app rolling. Eleven days out, and very excited to be back home. Man, I can't imagine how tough that is, but we're definitely excited to have you back here, Connor. Um, 2020 has definitely been a year. So we are nearing this topic and it seems almost right to talk about maybe the end of the world because some of us may feel like we're there right now. Yeah, we're in it right now. We're living it. We're living it. So we're just going to commentate on the current apocalypse that we're going through this year. Yeah, there, it seems like, um, especially with Christians, I've noticed like throughout my lifetime that it just seems to be a lot of fear surrounding the end times. And maybe it has to do with the unknown. I don't know. But there just always seems to be some kind of nervousness that we get when we start to talk about the end of the world. Why? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that's there. Like, I think I think you see that generally when Christians begin to think through and talk through things related to the end times. And it's certainly been present and perhaps feels a bit more real during this past year, honestly, during a pandemic and during such a, a tumultuous time in our culture in the United States of America. Like, these uh, these ideas at the end of the world seem a bit more plausible, right? It seems a bit more realistic considering all that we've been through so far this year. So I think that our angst and our nervousness is just amplified. It's been amplified this year. But there is, to your point, there is a legitimate fear and angst that Christians have in general, I think, when we talk about the end times. And it's interesting because, uh, and spoiler alert, bottom line up front, this whole episode is going to try to focus on the hope that we have in Christ upon Christ's return. But I think I think that our fear, our, our proclivity towards fear, I don't know. I think it has to do with, with our, a couple different things, maybe a misunderstanding of heaven, maybe a lack of understanding of, of death, just a natural apprehensiveness to talk about death. What do you think? What have you experienced in your uh, your Christian life and your time in church? What's What's been some of these things that have brought about feelings of, of anxiety when it comes to the end times? Well, definitely for me personally, growing up as a Christian in a Christian home, we never really did talk about heaven very much. So in my mind, I was always nervous to die because I thought that heaven would just be boring. You know, like that church service that never ends or the choir that never ends. So I think sometimes I was a little apprehensive towards death just because I was afraid that heaven wouldn't be as good as it is here on earth. But I mean, that's definitely not true. Right. That's interesting, though. I, I've, I've definitely heard that before. Like, 
you know, you see, uh, and we'll get into some passages here in just a few minutes, but you see some of the passages in, in Revelation, the last book in the Bible that, that discusses these things related to the end times. And <laughs> you see these portraits of people singing praises unto God, and it's easy to get lost in like, man, I can barely last through the three or four songs that my church sings on Sunday. How am I going to last through an eternity of the choir? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Another thing, too, is uh, my husband's from Brazil, and one of the things that he tells me is very interesting and different culture is that when he came to America, he was actually shocked to see like how Americans think about death and that it was just so natural for us to talk about that. And so it was interesting to hear him talk about how um, us Americans apparently are just more comfortable talking about death. And, you know, we're discussing the story of the Bible and we're getting towards the end. And I'm not saying that the end times are anywhere near. We, we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when these things are going to happen. But what we do know is that death, if we're Christians, um, and the end times is actually a message of hope. It's Jesus coming as our savior was definitely the turning point of the story, but this is the good ending. And, and that is why we have spent so much time talking through the story of scripture, the story of the Bible, to remind ourselves of this grand redemptive story, this grand redemptive mission that God has been on since the foundation of the world, since the beginning of time, that God has been reconciling and redeeming all things to himself. And the, the quote-unquote end times, as, as we understand it, is kind of the um, consummation of God's kingdom, of paradise being remade here on earth. So when we think of these like, you know, boring pictures of heaven or when uh, when heaven gets talked about as if we're all going to be given angels wings and just floating through the clouds, playing harps and just having a lame existence. <laughs> it's, it's not a picture painted in scripture. The picture painted of heaven in the book of Revelation is this earth remade to look like the original paradise that God had created for humanity to flourish in his presence. So it's basically like life without sin. Exactly. It's life as it was supposed to be. Like when God created the paradise for Adam and Eve, that, that's what we were supposed to experience. So God created a garden for Adam and Eve to flourish, to work, to cultivate, to experience relationships and to worship and enjoy God forever. Knowing to your point earlier about people talking about a boring heaven, knowing that the presence of God himself, the presence of Jesus Christ is the greatest joy that we could ever experience. We cannot even fathom the joy and the hope and just the sheer bliss that comes with literally walking and living and breathing in the presence of God all day long. So they're like a boring picture is not one painted by scripture, but rather the, the portrait of the presence of God being the greatest joy that we could ever experience. And in heaven, then God is reconciling humanity to once again live in his presence and experience that joy. There was a quote that you've said before, Connor, and I don't remember who it was by, but it was basically saying something along the lines of, if your walk with Christ is boring, or if you're bored with your walk with Christ, then you're not doing something right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think that's, I definitely stole that from somebody. I stole that from some other pastor. <laughs> that's the old pastor's <laughs> trick. I mean, we're all talking about a book that was written, you know, 2000 years ago, even longer than 2000 years ago in the Old Testament. So we're just, we're just regurgitating material at this point. You know, that's all we do. I don't remember where I got that quote from, but I think it's true. There's truth in that, that um, in Christ Jesus, we have fullness of joy. And you see this even in the Old Testament. You see David, King David, talking to the Lord and saying, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So there's something about a, about walking with God in such a way where you experience his presence uh, that, that he fulfills us, he sustains us, and, and that there is joy available in his presence to be fully seen and known and loved by God is the greatest joy a human being can experience. So we have that invitation now, without a doubt. Like if you're bored in the Christian life, man, there is more for you. The invitation of God to press deeper into his presence, to get to know him more, to read the word, and then to carry out the mission that he's given us, as we've talked about in previous episodes during this series. To carry out that mission, to engage that mission, to engage the people around you in your community, to plug into the life of your local church. All those things exist for your joy because God cares deeply about human flourishing and has wired things to work in accordance with human flourishing. We see that that's how God has ordained things for human flourishing. And that's how like this grand redemptive story to bring it back to the story of the Bible. That's how this has played out for all of time, that God created a paradise for mankind so that humanity could flourish in his presence, experience the fullness of joy available in the presence of God. Certainly, as we've talked about, Adam and Eve messed that up. Sin messed that up. And as sin was introduced into the cosmos, all things were fractured. Our relationship with God was fractured. Our relationship with each other was fractured. Even creation itself was fractured, according to Romans chapter 8. And so the rest of the story then, the rest of the story of Scripture is the process of God redeeming and restoring all things to that original paradise design. From the moment of Adam and Eve's failure, from the moment of their sin, God promised a hero to make things right for humanity, to bring human beings back into paradise and also... Remember, the first promise was for that hero to crush the head of the serpent, right? So that promise was for a hero to come who will defeat evil, who will defeat Satan himself, and then usher God's people back into that paradise. So as we've talked about in previous episodes, then Jesus arrived. He did that on the cross. He defeated sin and death. And here, as we talk about the end times, what we're talking about is Jesus' second coming, where he will come again to restore all things back to that original paradise design, to lead God's people back into paradise. So as we talk about these things, like that is that is central. We must keep the story of the Bible central as we talk about the end times, as we talk about the angst that we experience, as we talk about the fear that we experience. I think it's helpful for us to even rehearse that story to ourselves. This is what we were made for. This is what God has been doing for all of time. God is in control of this process. God is sovereign over the end. And the purpose of the end coming, the purpose of Jesus coming again is for him to bring us back into his presence so that we can live in fullness of joy with him forever to its original paradise design. All right. I have a quote for you here, Connor. I love a good quote. There's some big words in here, so we might have to talk about this a little bit afterwards. Eschatology isn't so much. (laughs) There's a $5 word. Eschatology isn't so much about millennial positions or the structure of revelation. It's primarily about the problem of evil and how that problem will be solved. Eschatology is about how one deals with the sad things in the world. And that's by Michael Kruger. Elizabeth, you are a theologian. Do you want to define that that $50 word that you just dropped on us? Um, uh, <laughs> eschatology is the study of the end times. Absolutely. Study of the end times. So that quote is so powerful because the end of it there, eschatology, or as Elizabeth, the theologian, just <laughs> aptly pointed out for us, the study of the end times is about how one deals with the sad things in the world. Tell me this year that you haven't experienced sad things. Tell me in your life you haven't experienced sad things. It kind of troubles me sometimes. It seems like that we just ignore this doctrine. We ignore talking about the end times because it's weird or it is scary or there's some angst there. And yet 
the return of Christ to, to restore all things, to lead us back into paradise, to lead us back into his presence and fullness, like the fullness of his presence with us. That's the greatest hope that we could have, especially in a year like 2020 that's been filled with disappointment and frustration and pain and questions and confusion. Like the assured second coming of Christ is, is the greatest hope for the Christian. That's where, yeah, that's where our hope is. Yeah. I, I like that quote. It's good. I, that guy's great. He, I think he's a, he's a professor out of North Carolina at a seminary there. And um, he does mention, it's probably worth noting, you know, Warrior, if you're, if you're this far into the podcast, you're probably super disappointed that we haven't mentioned things like the rapture or the millennial reign of Christ or the, yeah, the 1000 years. Like, so there are different positions on how to interpret revelation. There are different understandings as to what exactly the return of Christ will be like. And just for you, Warrior, we're going to cover that next week. Don't you worry. Stay tuned. Buckle your seatbelts. We'll dive in and we'll present the different views, just as we did with the creation narrative. There are different ways to understand the, uh, I don't know, the details of the coming of Christ, but those details are worthless if we miss the hope that is available and the hope that is promised in the assured second coming of Jesus Christ. Yeah, the whole point is that Jesus wins and redeems all things. Yes, King Jesus defeats sin and death on our behalf. The hero has conquered. Our warrior God has conquered sin, has conquered death. He has made all things right. All hail King Jesus forever and ever. This is like a, this is like the greatest Braveheart. <laughs> this is like the greatest William Wallace, the greatest warrior tale conquering evil and setting things right in his kingdom that has ever been told. And we're going to get to participate in it. So there's an immense hope there. And if we miss that hope and if we dwell on, you know, debating these millennial positions or debating the rapture, I think I think that would just do a disservice to the promise and to the hope that God's word offers. So the main point about all of this is that we have hope in Jesus. Um, and then I have a second quote here for you, Connor, also from Michael Kruger yes. that says, so let us be, here we go now, eschatological Christians, not in an effort to win debates about which millennium view is correct, but in an effort to proclaim a hope to a world that desperately needs it. Amen. Amen. That's well said. I mean, that's, that's the invitation of Christ, right? Right. We talked about that a bit in, in, you know, our mission, what we are to do here on earth. We are to proclaim hope to a lost world. That's what we are to do. And when we come to a heavy topic like this, where there's a lot of angst and questions about the end times in the book of Revelation, you know, we shouldn't be people trying to cause debate. We shouldn't be, you know, fear mongering. We shouldn't be screaming at people that the, that the end is, you know, about to destroy them. We should be offering the hope that Jesus provides and proclaiming that hope that's available in Jesus Christ to a world that, as Michael Kruger said, desperately needs it. You know, Revelation is not an easy book of the Bible to tackle. There's definitely a lot of confusion, maybe, and apprehension, because there's a lot of things that we just don't, maybe we don't understand, or it just seems scary. But I, I think there's a lot of hope that we can also gather from Revelation. And we have a few passages from Scripture to share that offer the hope that we can have during the end times. The first one is going to be in Revelation 7, 9 through 17. And I will go ahead and read that. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Amen. Amen. There's so much gold. I love how you set that up. Like, it's so true that we get so nervous trying to read the book of Revelation. And let me just point out, let me take a time out real quick. Yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves in the church is when people say revelations. Did I say revelations or revelation? No, you, <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. You're spot on. But man, I have so many, I have this one friend from, from back home and he all, I like, we talked about it so many times, but he just says, yeah, revelations. I like reading revelations. It is just, I don't know why that's just such a silly pet peeve, but it's just, it's, it's only just, one revelation about Jesus. Yeah. It's just one. We're just talking about one revelation here and it's complicated enough. So let's not make it more complicated by adding several revelations into the picture. But the passage that you read is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So let me point out a few things here in that first verse that you read in, in, in verse nine, a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Heaven is going to be a beautiful place of diversity where, where people from all nations, all tribes, from every country uh, will be worshiping Jesus Christ. Christians from all over the world, Christians from every time period will be worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, like that, that's God's family. That's God's kingdom. That's God's dynasty gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I mean, I think that's like, that's in and of itself, that's a message that we all need this year, right? With with so much hostility and strife and uh, racism and blatant evil. And we see like, like Christians need to be so focused and, and we need to be reminded often that our future is diverse. Like Christians have... Christians in America will always have more in common with a Christian from another nation than they will with someone who's not a Christian and yet belongs to their same political party or is from their same state, right? Yeah. Like our family, our kingdom, the dynasty that we belong to is one that is diverse and one that is centered around uh, the glory and beauty of King Jesus. So like, let that just be an encouragement for you this year. But, but also further, it, as we get to verse 13 and, and 14, where we start to hear some, well, actually, I love, let me look at that picture. That's so funny to me in, uh, in verse 13 and 14. So in the book of Revelation, if you're not aware of this, is uh, it is the revelation. The revelation. Two. One revelation. The, the, sing- <laughs> the singular revelation to the apostle John from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see this guy named John, the apostle who was given this vision of heaven, given this kind of spectacular vision. And that's actually one of the reasons why you see that the book of Revelation use so much metaphor and so much allegory, because John is just doing his literal best to try to describe this grand, glorious picture of heaven that he's given from the Lord, this vision that he's given. And that's kind of a hilarious moment in verse 13, where one of the elders 
you know, in this vision, one of the elders in heaven is asking John, who are these people? Like, what are they doing, John? And John's like, bro, I have no idea. You know, like you live here, you know, you know what's going on. You tell me. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's so funny. And, uh, and we see a confusing word there. Great tribulation. We'll talk about that next week. Take a deep breath. It'll be okay. But then we see the results or the, the byproduct of living in the presence of God, starting in verse 16, where people will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them. For the Lamb, who is Jesus, will shepherd us. He will guide us. He will lead us to waters of life, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I mean, that's the promise. Like People can get so tripped up on a word like the tribulation or on some of the details of these things, but, but the promise and the hope that this world desperately needs to hear is that there is an offer in Jesus to believe in him, to love him, to delight in him. And that that belief and love and delight can last for eternity, where one day as Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. He will make every wrong right, and he will allow you to experience the fullness of joy by being fully seen and known and loved in his presence forever. I mean, and that that's just such a beautiful picture of the hope that we have in Jesus. And I have one more passage of scripture just to reaffirm that hope. Um, and that is Revelation, Revelation with no S, 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's such a beautiful passage. Praise God. And that's our future. Like that is literally our future, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that death will be no more. Grief and mourning and crying and pain will be no more because there'll be a new order of things. For Jesus Christ himself will make all things new. We will live in paradise again with Jesus forevermore, with no more fear, no more angst, no more depression, simply rejoicing and experiencing joy in the presence of God. And this is our blessed and assured hope. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to trust in Christ, or if you want to learn more about making Him the authority over your life, or if you want to learn more about us, send us a message on our Instagram at WGMHQ. That's WGMHQ. We will make sure that someone gets in touch with you. This has been Warrior Podcast with Connor Shanahan. Warrior God Ministries' mission is to change the world by making disciples among military members and first responders and equipping them to be disciple makers and missionaries in their respective communities for the glory of Jesus Christ. <laughs>